Good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'm excited. This week we're starting a new sermon series. Um, I think there's a picture up front. Uh, we're calling it, uh, I guess I'm calling it, <laughs> Miracle Making God Known. Um, and kind of what the, the, the thinking behind this series is, is the genesis, if you will, um, of this series is this idea that I think a lot of us grow up struggling with. You know, I think we grow up and we get to this place where we have two different understandings of who God is. Now, we know it's Trinitarian. We know God's the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But what I'm talking about is how we sometimes tend to separate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. We look at the God of the Old Testament, we just see him as violent, as vengeful, as virulent, this extreme God who, if you say his name wrong, the ground will open up and he'll swallow you up, right? Then we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus and he's love and mercy and grace. He's peaceful, he's reconciling, and we have this disconnect. We have this disconnect because all of our theology, all of our history, all of our understanding of who God is, is that God is one, is that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But yet we look at these two pictures, and, and, and even if we say these are caricatures of who God is, we still struggle because there seems to be this disconnect. So the genesis and the, the need for this series is to kind of work us through some of that disconnect. We're not going to answer every question, but we're going to try to work our way through this disconnect. Now, in, in my life, I've found like three or four ways that people have tried to address this disconnect. The first one is to simply say that God is always contextual, you know, meaning that the God who is the God of Israel, he is same the God of us, but, but God goes to the time and place and people, and God will be what he needs to be for them to save them. Remember later on in the New Testament when Paul says, I will be all things to all people that I might save some? He learned that from Jesus. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we look at the context, we need to realize that God is this way because that's what his people needed right then and there. And the proof of this is just in this room. Some of us this morning, when we say, who is God? We think of him as healer. We think of him as a miracle worker, a promise keeper. We think of him as love, as grace, as mercy, as compassion, as the great redeemer, as the savior. We all have these pictures of who God is and who God is to us. And that's okay, right? Because God's like, if you need me to be your redeemer this morning, I will be your redeemer. Welcome home, my child. If you need me to be a healer this morning, I will be your healer. Welcome home, my child. And the reason this is important is because just like life has hills and valleys, just like life has seasons, you will go through a season where you need God to be all-powerful. But you also go through a season where you just need God to be love. You'll go through a season where you need God to be the great redeemer who sets you free, and you'll need a season where you just need God to say, hey, I'm here with you. God is all things to his people that he might save them. So we need to understand that in this context, God is revealing himself to them because this is what they needed. The second way I found, and this is the one I struggle with because I'm human. One of the things that makes us human is that we tend to be the sum of our parts. And where that hurts us when it comes with God is we tend to think of God as the sum of his parts, right? It's like in the Old Testament, well, he's 90% justice. And when he gets to the New Testament, he's 90% love, right? But God is not the sum of his parts. God is whole. So he's just as loving in Genesis as he is in Matthew, as he is in Revelation. He's just about law as he is, you know, in Genesis, as he is in, in Revelation and in Matthew. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is perfectly whole. He's perfectly grace. He's perfectly mercy. He's perfectly love every single step of the way. A.W. Tozer talks about this in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, reminding us that even though you're the sum of your parts, God is perfectly whole. So another way to think about this disconnect is it may not make sense in our head, but God is still perfectly love even in this. The third way that I found um, is this one I grew up with. So I like this one. This, one, this is kind of where I parked my car. This is where I dwelled for a while. This is what I was raised on. And it's this simple idea that God reveals himself over time. We call it progressive revelation. That's the idea that when God starts off in Genesis, he just opens the door a little bit. And then he opens it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then we get to Jesus. Now, the danger of this position, though, is we tend to treat the Old Testament as if it doesn't matter. Because they just had a little bit of revelation. We get the whole thing, so they're perfectly good. Uh, But we're better, right? But we have to remember, you know, most of us don't learn just like new things, just by ourselves. Most of us, for us to learn something and for it to stick, we have to have like some kind of base of knowledge, right? Most of us can't just, you know, be in kindergarten and we learn the alphabet and the next day we come back and the teacher says E equals MC squared and we're good. That takes time, right? And that's the same way when it comes to who God reveals himself to be. God does it over time. And for his people in the Old Testament, he was very literal. Just like if you walk into a kindergarten class, the teachers that are good need to be what? Very literal. You know, they don't have time to be like, well, let's just think through punishment. You know, let's just think through why it's not good to take other people's stuff. Philosophize and give me your best reasoning, right? Like most teachers in the kindergarten level have to be literal. So one of my mentors said that's why God is so literal in the Old Testament because he's basically starting with a bunch of kindergartners. And at first I felt super offended for them. And he's like, no, 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 think about it. They have been away from the God of Israel. They have been in Egypt. They have been in slavery. They've been force-fed the knowledge of Egypt. And this is all they have. And he's new to them. He's new to them, so just like a kindergartner, he has to start there. And that's why God gets more literal in the beginning. But I think the best way to solve this disconnect is just the simple truth that Jesus fully reveals God. That's where you need to park the car and stay. Jesus fully reveals God. Is God contextual? Is he going to go to your time and place and reveal himself in the way that you need to save you? Yes. Is he going to be perfectly whole? Yes. Is he going to progressively reveal over your lifetime more and more of himself? Yes. But if you want a full and complete rendering of who God is, look to Jesus. In John 8, this is a great chapter where the Pharisees and a bunch of people who don't like Jesus have all gathered up. And they gather up and they're, they're questioning Jesus on his testimony. They're questioning him on his identity. They're questioning him on his message, his gospel that he's preaching. Everything's being questioned. And Jesus answers all of them. And I love it because this is where we know Jesus perfectly reveals God, right? So first of all, he answers them pretty, um, I would say, theologically and academically maybe. And then he goes for the juggler and gets very literal, right? The first First way he does is like, yeah, 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 yeah. You question my testimony, but it's my father who sent me. You question my identity, but to see me is to see my father. You question my gospel, but know that in how I live and in how I love, that's how my father lives and loves. Because my father shines in me. My father sees through me. And it's very academic in that sense, because you can see them thinking through. It's like, is he saying what I think he's saying? Because I don't think he's saying what I think he's saying. 
You know, that's what's happening because Jesus is like, you want to see the Father? Just look at me. And, and for that culture and people, you have to understand blasphemy was the greatest sin. And for them, you have to remember, they, they know this God of the Old Testament. If you say you are who God is, you know, the ground tends to open up and swallow you up. So you can understand that they're sitting there thinking through this as like, I don't think he knows what he's saying. And Jesus senses that because at the end of John 8, he gets very literal. What he says to them at the end of John 8 is, oh, I know you're wondering, am I saying what I'm saying? But do you know who I am? I am that I am. It's what we call Yahweh. And what Jesus is saying, and Jesus, this is why it's literal, Jesus is taking them back to what they held dear, and that's Moses and the burning bush in Exodus 3. The birth of Israel happens in Exodus 3. Remember, Moses has been raised in Pharaoh's palace. He saw his people um, struggling, and he saw his people in oppression, and he actually rises up and slain an Egyptian. He's on the run. He's in the desert. He's away from God and everything, and God shows up in a burning bush. And the bush is talking back to him. And the bush says, Moses, I've called you to be redeemer. And Moses is like, are you sure? And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You will go and tell my people to go. And he's like, but I don't even like to talk. I don't speak so well. God's like, I got you. He's like, but I can't do this on my own. I got you. But, but, but God, um, who are they going to say you are? Because, you know, we've been away for, I don't know, 400 years. Um, we're in slavery. We don't have any power. Who, who am I going to tell these people in Pharaoh that you are? And God says, what? I am that I am. So Jesus goes literally to the birth of Israel, and he says, you may not get when I say, you see the Father, you see me. You may not get when I say, forget the disconnect, me and my Father are one. But what I want you to know is what you hold dear of who God is, that's who I am. Jesus perfectly reveals God, and this answer is, to know me is to know my Father. To see me is to see my Father. So we get to miracle making God known because one of the things I've realized is that the greatest miracle maybe in this world is that our God, who's the God of the universe, the Lord of the galaxies, the one who spoke the world into existence, the greatest thing that he wants above all things is to be known by us. That's the great miracle. And I think if you understand that as a miracle, you can get through some of the things that either the Old Testament and the New Testament has to throw at you. Because the miracle is that God makes himself known to us. The miracle isn't Jesus walking on water. He spoke the world into existence. The miracle is that Jesus walked on water that you might be saved. The miracle isn't that Jesus healed or that, that God healed Naaman in the Old Testament. The miracle is that God healed so that he could be a witness to the people and that we can be bear, bear witnesses thousands of years later. The miracle is always that God's going to make himself known. We focus so much on the acts that God does and forget that he's God. Right? It's not incredible that he does these things. He's all-powerful. That's what he does, right? Like, I eat food. That's not that amazing. I eat food. It's delicious. That's what I do. But what God does is amazing things, but he doesn't do it just so you can be like, wow, he's amazing. He does it so that you can know him and his heart. And the four ways we're going to see that when we look at Jesus, we see God. When we look at God, we see Jesus. We're going to look at it through these four lenses. Creation. God as creator, Jesus as creator, compassion, God as love, and Jesus as love, justice, God is making things right, and Jesus is making things right, and then lastly, provision, God giving to us for us. And lastly, in all of this, 
My prayer is that we simply hold on to not just that God is the same, but we hold on to this simple truth that Jesus only does because the Father did. If you have your Bible, turn with me now to Genesis 1. I'll be reading Genesis 1 to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. I think we'll also have it up front so you can follow along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters and he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the earth, let the water teem with living creatures, let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the, earth, fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is like my, my friends who are vegans and vegetarians, this is their part. They love to beat me down with this one, so we're just gonna, we're gonna plow through it here. This is more about me than you, but they love this part. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything has breath of life in it. I give every grain plant for food, and it was so. 
God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all the work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you that you are the creator God. We thank you that what you created was good and it was good in your eyes. God, we thank you for creating us, that you created us to make yourself known and that you call us to do some creating of our own. God, we thank you that we're in your image. We thank you for the call to, to be your ambassadors, your representatives, your image to the world. So God, help us to create a world and to dream of a world that is your kingdom come and your will be done. Help us to be your love, your mercy, your grace, your compassion. Help us to save, help us to redeem, help us to, 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 to set free people who, are bind, or who, people who are bound, people who are trapped, people who are living in darkness, God. Help us with your Spirit's help to create this world you dream of. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that's interesting about this passage is that, you know, it's a lot of poetry. That's what I call it. But we tend to think of it just as prose. And what I mean by poetry is simply this. You know, a lot of times when I grew up reading this passage, we would do well to break it down, you know? We would have like one series and we talk about the first day. Then we talk about the second day. Then we talk about the third day. And, and what we lose when we do it that way is we forget the whole story matters. And we get really good at focusing on what that day represents and how they all fit together without looking at everything as a whole. Because I think when you read it as a whole like we just did, it's an invitation to not just the poetry, but to wonder. God gifts this story to his people because he wants them to be thankful for the creation. If we give thanks for what God's created, that's good. What's even better than that is we actually accept God's call and we care for creation. But I think the best and what I think the ancients got that we sometimes forgot is God wants you to read this story and remember the wonder of it all. Remember the first time you held a child. Or I grew up in the city, so we weren't blessed with stars in the sky at night. And I always used to laugh when people would come into the city and they locked their cars. I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Then I drove into the country and I locked my cars. And I said, oh, I understand now, I think. But the scariest part about going into the country, I remember I went to this camp. And I remember going out at night and there was all these animals. I'm hearing all these things. I'm just like, why do people live out here? This ain't even right. But I remember looking up at the stars I'd never seen so many stars in my life. And it took my breath away when I just looked up. I remember that feeling of wonder. And I remember my counselor looking over and be like, oh, you think this is great? In a couple of days, we'll have a meteor shower. And I was like, what's that? You know, he's like, oh, just see. And I remember sitting under the stars and the shooting stars are going back and forth. I remember the wonder of creation. Or how many of you have ever beheld art, true art, Art that's so good, whether it's music or, or, or painting or, or, or anything that you, me, it's food. You know, when I eat a delicious meal, that's art. But how many of us have ever beheld art that's so good that it doesn't turn off your brain, but it just takes your breath away? That's what God wants us to feel when we think about his creation. This poem is calling us back to wonder. And the wonder is simply that our God created everything. Our God created it all. Now, one thing that's amazing for me is growing up, 
What I held on to in the wonder was simply the fact that he spoke the world into existence. You know, I had an art teacher in high school, and she used to tell me, well, everyone's an artist. And I was like, well, <laughs> everyone can make art. But I'm not sure if everyone's an artist, you know? I feel like that's not true, because what I'm making here is not as good as anyone else, you know? Like, everyone else is better, right? I'm just here for the credit, you know? But I think part of that, for me, with God speaking things to existence, is for me to create, for me to make stuff, it takes a lot of work. And it's fine but it just takes me a long time to create, you know? I remember celebrating when I used to draw between the lines, and I looked over, and this kid's, like, sketching something new, and I'm just like, dude, we're just supposed to color, you know? Stop drawing, you know? But what I love about this is this reminder that it wasn't work for God to create. He spoke it into existence. Everything that we see, that we behold, that we hold on to, he spoke into existence. And I held on to that for a while, and a couple years ago, there was a, a hill song, um, has a song called So Will I. And I remember listening to that song, and I remember stopping in my tracks because there was one line in that song, and they just simply say, you know, with no point of reference. And I got my wonder back again. So it's not just that he spoke the world into existence. We as finite human beings, we can only learn, we can only create when we got resources and material and stuff to build and add on to. God had no point of reference and he spoke and created this world. No point of reference. Never lose the wonder of God's creation. Never lose the wonder that the God of the universe spoke this into being, and it was good, and he created it for you. I think the reason that we tend to forget about wonder is because we see this passage and this poem through our eyes. But I think it helps us to go back and understand what the first hearers would have heard. Because you see, these are people who were slaves in Egypt. These are people who haven't had a relationship with God. These are people who Moses has to reintroduce God to. They're now a family that's grown into tribes, that's grown into a nation. But among nations, they thought they had no history. They thought they had no standing. They thought that they didn't matter. See why Genesis matters? Because how many of us in this room feel like we have no history? Feel like we have no standing. Feel like we don't matter. And you have to understand that these people who are trekking around the desert, God is giving them this story to say, you might think Egypt is big and wonderful, but I'm God and I created it all. You might think the, the Akkadians are scary and the Sumerians are scary and the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, and they all have their histories, but it all created for me because I made it all and I have chosen you. The wonder of this story is that slaves and desert trekkers are now being told that the apex of all of God's creation. The wonder of this story is that people who didn't think that they mattered at all, God is saying, you matter most. Never lose the wonder. Because what they would have heard in Egypt, what they would have heard in Babylon, is that creation was an afterthought. Creation was a consequence. Creation was, was, a, was chaos, and it was violence, and it was all about powerful. It's, you know, yeah, a set of gods who would fight each other, and whoever won, they, they, they made the creation because they won. It's kind of like our history, isn't it? Isn't that how we write our histories? I always think it's funny when we think we're so advanced, and then you read some of these things, you're like, oh, that's interesting, you know? These gods were in the image of the people because they loved power and to create and to subjugate. 
And that's the world that little old Israel would have been in. They believed that, you know, everything was a consequence. This is why they were enslaved. This is why they didn't matter. Yet God says creation isn't the consequence. Creation was the result that I wanted. Creation isn't for me fighting with other gods. There's no other gods but me. I am the God of the universe. I spoke it into being. Creation isn't a, a, a place of chaos, but it's a place of me making order. Creation is not a place of, of violence. It's a place of beauty. It's not a place of being so powerful that I win and I subjugate. It's a place of me creating something that's very good because I want you to know me. This is what they would have heard. So when they read through or they listened to the story of Genesis, they would have heard, my goodness gracious, there's a God who loves me. There's a God who chose me. There's a God who created me. There's a God who looks at me and says, I am very good. That's why Genesis matters, because thousands of years later, we still need to hear, there's a God who chose me. There's a God who created me. There's a God who says that I matter. And this God who's the creator, Madeline Lengel has a book called And It Was Good. In this book, she talks about how the Spirit of God is hovering over, and Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. But never forget that God creates because he's a creator. And I think that's beautiful because we sometimes forget that God didn't stop creating when Genesis ended. God is still creating today. We forget that what God is saying to his people, we don't have to have these cosmic fights. I don't have to defeat all these other gods. Look at this story of creation and hear that I am God alone, that I am sovereign and powerful. Hear that I am good and the world that I created is good. Hear that I love you. And that was the message of creation and that's what blew the people away. Now, what hurts us is that we tend to think of creation through our lens. We forget that the simple message is it is God who made us and not we ourselves. So what we do really well is to not just remember these people who thought it was wonderful, but we get to the point where we focus so much on the how, we forget the who. There's so many of us who focus when we come to creation, we put our lines in the sand, we put our foot down, we're like, I believe in a literal six days of creation. And there's some of us who are just like, well, that's ridiculous. I believe science says the earth is billions of years old, right? And there's some of us who are middle children or peacemakers who are just like, I believe in intelligent design, you know? Like, it's just intelligent design. Everybody good? But here's the thing. Remember what we said about God being contextual? Remember what we said about God being all things to all people? We focus so much on the how that we have forgotten the who. We focus so much on how it was done that we don't take enough time to simply tell God thanks for doing it. Tell God thanks for creating it. We put so much of our effort on the how when we need to realize this morning that if you're in this room and you think it's a literal six days, God says what? Welcome home. And if you're in this room and you think it's been billions of years, God says, you know what? That's beautiful. Welcome home. And if you're in this room and you're just like, I just think I don't know the date and time. Is this intelligent design? God's like, well, yes, I'm intelligent, but still, welcome home. It is not about the how. It's about the who. Now, in the first service, I got caught. I think I'm safe. I'm looking around, right? I don't think there's any Liberians in this service. The first service, there was one. She, she snuck up on me. Do we have a Liberian? 
Oh, well, we got people who spend time in Liberia. All right. So, all right, we'll still go with this. We'll still go with it. All right. But here's the thing. In Liberia, we have a meal. Um, It's actually my my dad's people, my dad's um, tribe, um, ethnic tribe. They make a meal called tabagi. Now, tabagi, there's no other way to, I can't figure out the American equivalent. I try to look up recipe and all this stuff. Um, (laughs) This is what I came up with. We have one vegetable we call bitter balls, and I have no idea what else except the little round balls and they're bitter. That's it. That's all. Um, We have another one we call kitele, which I wrote down the Latin version of the plant, and I left it at home. So you just got to look look it up, look at it. And, 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 and what happens with kitale is you basically make like a broth, you know? Um, so you make that on itself. Then you have like the bitter balls in the kitale, and it's like the vegetables, you beat them together. Almost make like a paste type of thing. Um, then you get all your meats, right? Like we eat a lot of meat, you know? Um, you get all your meats. And at some point, you combine the meat to the broth. You mix that up. At some point, you dump the kitale and the bitter balls in there, and you stir it up, and you have tabagi, right? Now, that's probably the worst explanation of how to make that food. I probably missed like 29 steps, right? But what's the point? The point is, when I'm eating that delicious bite, I don't really care about the how. I'm just grateful for the who. And I think that's how we got to start approaching creation. Now, I, I'm not saying the how doesn't matter, because here's the thing. I can't eat fish. If you put fish in there, my throat closes and I pass out, like, the how matters, you know? Like, the how matters. Don't get me wrong. But we've done so much effort and time and wasted energy trying to figure out the how when what God is trying to tell us here is remember me. Remember the who. Remember that I created. And if that's what you need to hold on to and if that's all you have, God is good. Now, however you have your secondary things you want to hold on to of how it happened, that's good for you. But God just says, remember me. Remember I'm the creator. The who is God, and the who is the most important. And the reason the who is the most important is because what the who does. God doesn't just put creation into existence and it's good. He then creates you as the apex of his creation. I love that God is community, that he says, let us make mankind in our image. I love that it's male and female together that flow and make the image of God. I love that God gives us work to do. That God says, you are now my representatives. You are now my ambassadors. The idea of image was that you would represent God to the world. The idea of ambassador is that I am leaving you here, not just to rule, but to point all of creation back to me. Because here's the thing the ancients would have known that we don't have, right? They primarily functioned out of functionality. You know what we function on? This is just my theory. I think we function out of materialism. And then we function and we give value to what you have or what you don't have or what you want. I think we function not just out of materialism. I think we function as children or grandchildren of the Enlightenment, as modernists or postmodernists or post-postmodernists, whatever we are now. I think we function on what you know and what you don't know. And I think a lot of what we believe comes down to those things, what you have or what you don't have, what you know or what you don't know. The ancients were all about functionality. And what that meant is they would always ask, what does this mean? What am I to do? And that's something you can't forget in this creation story. 
So when we get up here and say, hey, we need you to make God's kingdom come forth. We need you to do God's work here at HBIC. We need you to do God's work here in the community. When we say that, we're getting back to the Genesis. We're getting back to the beginning because every single one of us has a function in God's kingdom. It's not enough for you to say, I believe in God. Are you following him? It's not enough to say, God, thank you for your blessings. Are you using those blessings to make his kingdom come and his will be done? If God has given you a gift, you are supposed to use it for him. Simple. If God has blessed you, you are supposed to be a blessing. Simple. The ancients understood when God made creation, he said every single one of them mattered and every single one of them had a, 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 a play. Uh, they had a, I was going to say a price to pay, but that didn't sound right. Every single one of them had a part to play. And I think we need to get back to that because there's so many of us when we come to our faith, we're very good at being consumers. We're very good at being critiquers. But how many of us are willing to be characters in the play that God is writing for this world? How many of us are willing to say, God, where have you given me? What have you blessed me with? How can I use it to make your kingdom come and your will be done? Because God made creation to make himself known. God made humans to point back to himself. And every single one of you has a function. If you believe in Jesus this morning, God has work for you to do. And we have to start claiming that part of our destiny because this world needs us. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because there's still work to do. There's still people who don't believe. There's still people whose lives are marked by the darkness that they're in. There's still people who are bound up and need to be set free. There's still people who need to know what God's love looks like, what it feels like, what it, what it, what, what, what it, when it touches them, that it's so real that they know God is real. And that's why you are here. All of you have a part to play. That is the function. But I think the thing I love the most about this creation story is that God ends with this concept that's very new to his people. And it's a concept that we should know, but we also struggle with. After all the creation, God ends with Sabbath. And what's interesting about this is that most of us, when we read this, we see the pattern, right? There's day one, this happened. There's day two, this happened. There's day three, this happened. It's a very linear pattern, meaning you just go one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, for those people who study literary structure, one of the things they said is that, you know, there's also this literary pattern going on here where things are matching up. Whereas, like, God creates the light, but then he comes back and creates sun and moon and stars. Where God creates the sea and the sky, then he comes back and he creates the fish and the birds. Where God creates the dry land, and he comes back and he creates the, the animals and the humans. Everything matches up in those first six days, and then Sabbath stands alone. Why? It's because in telling this story to God's people, they wanted them to know that, yes, God created, that, yes, it was good, that, yes, God chose you, that, yes, you have work to do. But all of you, to survive this world, need to make it part of your life to plug or to unplug and to replug into God. All of you have to make it a normal part of your days, of your weeks, of your months, and of your years to take rest and to take rest in him. Because here's the thing. All of us have too much to do. All of us don't have enough time. 
all of us like the idea of Sabbath. But to survive this world, you're going to have to set apart time each day to spend with God and to ask him to fill you up. Because here's the thing. If you're not being filled up by God daily, you're going to run on fumes. And if you run on fumes, it's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact every interaction you go through. It's going to impact your work, your school, wherever you are. If you're running on fumes, you're not only not your best self, but I would say you're hurting the kingdom more than you're helping it. God put Sabbath as the the highlight of this entire creation narrative because he knows you're going to say, God, I'm just too busy. God, I got too much going on. God, I just don't have time right now. But he's going to say, if you don't take time for me, to dwell with me, to spend time with me, to rest in me, you're not going to be your best self. And here's the amazing thing the ancients would have heard. In all of these creation narratives from the ancient Near East, rest was for the gods. It wasn't for the people. The people just worked. The people were not just, they were either an afterthought or they were created to be slaves for the gods. All they had was work. And it's funny because we can differentiate ourselves from that. We're like, well, that's not us. You know, we value other things, right? Do we? Do we? Do we value other things? Because God says, I'm going to create a world where you're regularly plugging into me. I'm going to create a world where you're taking time to be filled by me. And that's how you're going to be empowered to go and do your work. So the question for all of us becomes, how am I regularly plugging into God? How am I regularly being filled and indwelled by God? You know, this week... um, I was listening to some music. It's what I like to do when I write sermons. And I have to find, like, new music because I'll start singing along, and it's, like, not good for studying, you know. Um, and, and one of my favorite artists is Bonnie Vare, um, which is the stage name for the band. It's a guy by the name of Justin Vernon. I got it right. I was so proud of myself. Um, and and, and he, probably his biggest song is a song called Skinny Love. And it's, it's I mean, he's, he's different, you know. Um, if you want, like, a more acoustic version, there's a lady by the name of Birdie. I think that's her real stage name, too. And she covers it, so you can actually understand the words a little bit better. But he was being interviewed about this song. And I was struck, and I was just like, this is fascinating, you know? So I heard um, the Birdie's version. <laughs> I heard Birdie's version, and I was just like, oh, that's what, she's, that's what he's saying? That's interesting. All right. And I started reading about the song. And, and at one point, he's being interviewed, and I think the, the interviewer knew, you know, um, someone he had been in a relationship with. And the interviewer says, oh, when I was talking to your, your ex, you know, she told me that, that this song, Skinny Love, is about her. And, and, and Bonnie Vera goes, well, yes and no, you know, and he's a strange guy, you know, like, it's just like, he's different, you know, um, but at the same time, he makes a really good point. And what he said was, no, no, it's not about just her. It's about me. Because one of the things I've learned about myself is at that point in my life, I was not healthy. I was not healthy. I was not in a good place. And then I had this other side of me that knows that I'm at my healthiest when I'm with people. I need people around me to build me up. And at the same time, that's not a good reason to be in a relationship. So it's this hard place that I was in where I needed to be with people who valued me and cared for me, but I wasn't healthy enough to be in that relationship. 
And he said, and this is the part that got me, he says, the skinny (laughs) about skinny love is that when we go into relationships or we maintain unhealthy relationships, they just crash and burn. Relationships need weight. Relationships need to be fed. Relationships need to be healthy. And I thought about that in my relationship with God. Because I think a lot of us are really good at having a skinny love with God. I think a lot of us are really good about knowing God, about believing God, but we're not so good about following God and about submitting to God and about actually living for God. God didn't create you to have a skinny love. He wants your relationship to have weight. We just finished that Faith Builder series. God has put his Holy Spirit inside of you and any and everyone who believes. But that Holy Spirit cannot transform you into the image of Jesus Christ if you do not submit to the Holy Spirit. God has sent Jesus himself not just to die. Remember, the gospel is a complete gospel, meaning that every step that Jesus took mattered. God sent Jesus into this world to say that I love the world and I'm coming to redeem it. God sent Jesus to live and to walk in this world to show us that it's possible that we can live and please God. God sent Jesus to the cross to die on the cross for our sins to say it's possible to defeat darkness. It's possible to defeat sin. It's possible to defeat death itself. And God raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know if you're with me this morning. I said God raised Jesus from the dead to show you that death and darkness don't have the last word, that this God who creates in Genesis is still making things new. And God has elevated Jesus to his right hand, and Jesus is right now preparing heaven until it's perfect for you. That's the full gospel because he will come again. But the thing about that full gospel of Jesus Christ is simply this. God sent Jesus for us, yes but Jesus has sent us for the world. And we have to hold on to that. God created the world and he made it good, but he created you and gave you a purpose. And your purpose is to do his good in this world. But so many of us have this skinny love relationship with God. We're spending time with him as a bother. We're spending time with him as hard. We're spending time with him as just something, oh, I just, I got to do it. But here's the thing. In every relationship that you have, if you don't spend time with the person, what happens? That skinny love falls apart. If you're not submitting to God and growing in God, you're either growing with him or growing away from him. And I think the prayer and the the, the prayer I have for us this morning, the hope I have for us this morning is that we stop letting our relationship with God be the skinny love that's not built by God. We stop making it just like what we believe and where we are and start making it how is God transforming me? What is God calling me to do? What is the good work that I can usher in? There's a couple things I want you to hold on to in this whole message of creation. The first one is, you do well to give thanks that God created this world. You do better if you actually step up and start caring for God's creation. But you do best if you don't lose the wonder of it all. You don't lose the wonder that God created it all. Because if you hold on to the wonder, it's easier to worship God. 
If you hold on to the blessings, you tend to worship yourselves. But if you hold on to the one who gives the blessings, you tend to appreciate the blessings all the more. And you tend to be a blessing yourself. The second thing I want you to hold on to when we look at all these different miracles of God is that God isn't just some egomaniac and God isn't just like, you got to know who I am. But God wants you to know him intimately. That's why God acts on your behalf. God doesn't just, you know, Jesus doesn't just walk on water because he was like bored. So, oh, you know, they're sleeping. Let me go walk on water. They'll see now. God doesn't just provide manna in the desert because they were hungry. He did it because he's good. He did it because he's going to act on your behalf. He did it because he wants you to know that he loves and cares and works for your good. The third thing, and I think my art teacher would be so proud of me. Maybe I got to send her an email this week if I could find it. The third thing is we are all creators. It's on, just like it's in God's DNA, God's essence, it's in your essence. You were create to create. Now, I know some of us are just like, well, I'm not an artist. But here's the thing. Every single person in this room is working for, is dreaming for, and is bringing in a world. And it might be in your everyday scenes. It might be with the people that are close to you. But everything that you're doing is working for, is dreaming for, and is bringing forth a world. The challenge for us is are we working for, are we dreaming for, are we bringing forth the world that God wants? We're all creators. What are we working to create? We're all gifted. What are we using our gifts to create? We're all God's children, the apex of his creation. How are we using that standing to call people back to God and to make him known? And the last thing is simply this. God didn't stop creating in Genesis. Praise God, God is still creating. Praise God, God is still making things new. Pastor Esty and the team's going to come up. We're going to close with a song called Beautiful Things. And I love this song because it's a reminder to all of us that our God is still making beautiful things out of dust. That our God is still redeeming the things of this world. He's still redeeming us. I'd like to invite up the intercessors to pray. We'd love to pray for you. For whatever you've got going on, please come up. Let us pray for you. But as we sing this song, I want us to hold on to this simple truth. Our God creates. Our God created you and called you good. How are you doing good for God's creation and God's world? Let's stand and sing together. Out 
making beautiful things. God, we thank you that you spoke the world into existence, that you had no point of reference. But now, Lord, you have us and you created us. And help us, Lord, to step up to the plate, to be led by your spirit, to submit to your son, Jesus Christ, and to be your point of reference for our world. Help us to be the point of reference so that our people can see and feel your love, to see and feel how much they matter to you, and to see and feel the purpose of ushering in your kingdom come. So God who create, who created us good, help us to dream, help us to work, help us to pray, help us to live, help us to love for your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you all.